Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Pubiets. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a brilliant episode for today with a stellar guest. Professional drummer John Foster joins the show. We always love having musicians on the show, and this was my first time chatting with John, and I was hooked from the jump. I felt as if we had known each other for years and that we were sitting around chatting about music in a jazz club. I couldn't get enough of, of his intellect and his inside information in the world of, of music and especially drumming and percussion, and I couldn't stop asking him questions. <laughs> John is the studio drummer, but has also toured extensively around the world in several different projects and has a new album coming up under the name New Roots that'll be out soon. In addition to performing, John is also a drumming instructor and has many online resources available for aspiring musicians. On today's episode, John chats about how he gets in the right headspace and how he feels the music as opposed to thinking. John also reflects on his tours and what it is that makes for a great show and the one location in which he performed that thrilled him to no end. Finally, John and I talk about the upcoming album and the thought process that goes in to making a lasting work of art. I had an absolute blast chatting with John and I could sing his praises for days, but I'm going to practice some rare discipline and show restraint and finally stop talking so that we can hear a sample of John's new album. That's right. John was extremely gracious enough to give us an exclusive sneak peek of the upcoming album with a track called Gabriola. Again, this is part of John's project New Roots alongside Steve Poloni, which is music inspired by Canadian landscapes. That'll be out later this summer, and he has a sample of Gabriola that will play now and at the end of today's episode. So let's go ahead and bring on talented musician, professional drummer John Foster, and let's learn. I have to know what were your early musical influences. Uh, honestly, the earliest that I can think of would be like Blink One Eighty Two was definitely a huge one. Muse, uh, do you know Muse? Of at course, all? yeah, yeah, yeah. Muse, um, Coldplay. Actually, old Coldplay was like a huge influence on me. Like the the Spies and Yellow and those albums. Man, Parachutes. That was the album. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of full sounding bands that you like. A lot of full sounding bands. I think I was really drawn to the drums, obviously, from a very young age. That was like the first thing that I heard when I listened to a song. And so any band that had really awesome drum parts, I was all about it. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Time is Running Out as the best Muse song. What about you? Time is Running Out. Okay. I think that was the first Muse song that I ever heard. And yeah. I think that was, that was the first one where that bass line, do, 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 do. Right away, I was yeah. like, this band is on fire. They were so different than everything else at the time as well. They were. So like c- cinematic or, or like operatic, I feel. I think it's a very great description. With that, you mentioned you were drawn to the drums. So when was it that you first found yourself on a kit? I think the earliest 
I had ever been behind a kit was when I was too young to remember. I was at some summer camp that my sisters were going to, and they had a drum set there. And apparently I was, you know, three or maybe four years old, sat on the kit, fell in love with it. And then in, you know, few years went by. And when I was around the age of eight or nine, there was a drum set at the church that I was going to with my family. And I started, you know, sitting behind the kit and really loving it. And that's when I said to my parents, this is what I want to do. I want to play drums. And they said, you know what? We put you in baseball, soccer, all these things. If you want drums, you got to save up and get them. So I got a paper route and saved up for a year. Wow. This is a great story. Yeah. So what was, <laughs> yeah. what was the first kit that you purchased? The first kit was uh, by a company called CB Drums, which is Canada's best drums. Okay. And they were the most entry-level kit that you could possibly buy, but it was a real drum set. Yeah. And so, yeah, I saved up, I got that kit and that kit was like literal gold to me. It was like the most prized possession I'd ever owned. And I think probably the most prized possession I, I will ever feel attached to in my life is that kit. Yeah. Does it still exist? I think it still exists. I passed it along to a friend who was interested in getting into drumming at the point where I had collected three kits at that point. So okay. There was no point in keeping it. With that first one, what was the case? Was it the hard plastic shell? Because mine, the first one I ever had was like a, it looked like an oversized tote that you would get at Ikea. Oh, yeah. I, I bought like a set of soft cases and they were just like soft. Uh, they were like kind of like tote bags. Yeah, like you're saying, just with extra padding in them. I remember seeing someone with the plastic shell and I was equal parts envious, but also I think I looked down upon him because I, I love me tote. <laughs> Easier to throw in the car. I'll yeah. say that. Once you started playing, uh, who were some of the drummers that you aspired to be, some of the people that motivated you? You know, when I think about it, it was just the drummers in the bands that I listened to. So Travis Barker, Blink-182, he was the, he was probably the biggest personality that I was drawn to. Um, Coldplay, I feel terrible saying this, but I can't name the drummer's name. <laughs> Same for Muse, which is horrible. And I should know that. Uh, I'm probably going to look that up first thing when this interview is done. But uh, Travis Barker, yeah, he was probably the guy that for my formative drumming years, you know, age 10 to probably 15 or so, he was the guy that I looked up to the most. Will Champion, drummer from Coldplay. Okay, Will Champion, that sounds very familiar. And your drummer from Muse, any last guesses? Mm. DH initials. DH. You're going to have to tell me. Dominic Howard. Dominic Howard. Okay, as soon as you say the names, I know I've yeah, seen them. Yeah. Outside of rock, did you have other genres of music that you liked? I started getting into jazz when I was in high school. I had a really awesome music teacher, mm -hmm. Mr. Honest Chuck, and he put me onto jazz and, you know, kind of just expressed to me how, how important the conversational aspect of music making is and improvisation in jazz and so that that really drew me to jazz I knew nothing about the history of it I didn't know where it came from or any of the meaning behind it but the actual technical aspect of playing jazz drums was very appealing and so that kicked me into gear towards going to university for music when did it switch something that you were good at to then hold up I got I got a future on this I think that's a good question I think um I was kind of on track to either go to school for music or for business. Mm -hmm. And I just really loved music and it was just all I wanted to do. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't know the potential of, 
of career paths in music. I didn't know which way it could lead me in, but I just knew that I loved it and I wanted to make it my career. So probably around age 16, when I started listening to jazz and realized I could go to school for music, that was when I started putting my energy towards that. Well, I'm thankful that you went the music route instead of business. We've got enough businessmen. We need more musicians <laughs> like you. Mentally, how do you put yourself in the right mindset for performance? Because so much of drumming is not thinking but feeling. When I talk to musicians, it's, it's don't think about the beat. The second you start thinking about the beat, you're going to be off beat. You've got to yeah. feel it. It's got to be something just inside you. It's innate. So mentally, how do you get yourself in that fluid moment? Well, I mean, it depends on what the performance is. I think I've done quite a bit of touring and figured out a good flow, which is, you know, you rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. You learn the material like the back of your hand mm -hmm. before the tour. And then when you're on the road, essentially, you just get into this flow of, of knowing it so um, innately. Like you don't, like you said, you don't think about it whatsoever. But in terms of right before day of, right before the performance, there's probably a mindset time frame. Like I need maybe an hour before the show that I need to do some warm-ups. I need to feel like I'm ready to perform because, you know, you're going about your life, you're going about your day-to-day, -day, you're going out for dinner or whatever, and then all of a sudden you have to be a performer. And, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who's performing at all times. I don't have that type of like loud personality like somebody like Travis Barker, who probably has, I would imagine, is always kind of performing essentially but um yeah taking like an hour before the show warming up thinking about the concert thinking about the type of energy i want to bring to the show and then just getting hype about it like letting yourself feel the adrenaline of the audience uh feel the adrenaline of of playing with the other musicians on stage a lot of musicians i've talked to they get almost like an out-of-body experience and the really feeling it is when you can almost watch themselves playing do you get in that oh, mode yeah. as well yeah oh a thousand percent mm -hmm. the the moment where it feels like time has almost stopped mm -hmm. and you're thinking about the future looking back on the performance and how awesome it was because you're just in that moment you're just free-flowing like life is yeah. perfect in that moment can you create that or does that just happen randomly naturally i think you can influence it okay. you can definitely influence it for example when you're touring and you come across a show where there's just few people there's there's fewer people than you're used to maybe it's a monday or a tuesday or a wednesday night uh could be a smaller town that's kind of like a filler show just to make sure that you're performing every night um and those nights, you really have to put more into it. You have to like influence the audience. You have to really give them the energy. There are nights though, where you might have 2000 people in the audience and just the sheer feeling coming off of them when you're on the stage, it just, it all, that's what brings it together is just the, the energy of the audience and the musicians on stage being in that moment together and yeah. sharing that space. Earlier, you talked about jazz being a big thing for you and your evolution. Drummers provide the foundation for all forms of music, so effective drummers can adapt to any genre. So how does listening to a variety of music assist in your performance? One reason I want to ask that, because when you mentioned Travis Barker, obviously he came up with Blink-22, but also has done a lot of work in the hip-hop world. So how does listening to a variety help you out? Well, I think ultimately music, especially these days, genres are becoming less defined, okay. less separated. Um, if I were to answer this 10 years ago, 
I would have said, you know, you should be taking time listening to jazz and listening to hip hop and rock and all different genres. If you're trying to be a drummer and be a session drummer, like I was at the time, like just trying to get into that world, listening to the different genres helped me adapt to the various artists I was playing with. It helped me to, it's like a language, right? You, the more you hear it, the more you understand it. And especially if you play along with those albums, if you play along in the different genres, you start internalizing some of the, the, the dialect, some of the um, vocabulary that's used. Um, these days though, it's interesting you bring up Travis Barker because he's a drummer that, you know, to me, he was like a punk rock drummer. But now, as you mentioned, he's doing hip hop, he's working with pop artists, and he's not really playing that much different from what he was playing in those punk bands. It's just that the pop music and the hip hop that we're hearing today is starting to blend more with some of those punk rock elements. And so that's what I mean in terms of genres are, they're becoming less defined, they're becoming more of a blend, which is really cool actually. Yeah. That's a fantastic answer, and I really love your point of it's a language. To go more depth on that, does listening to multiple genres, even though, you, like you said, it has kind of that line's been blurred, does it also help you enhance the overall aspect of not just drumming, but percussion, the whole thing? I think of Rage Against Machine, you hear that cowbell distinctly. And yeah. then another percussion's got just a slight change of the hi-hat or, or snare, whatever it may be. So how does that add on to your, your tools, your tool belt that you have of the multiple percussion aspect? Oh, that's a good point. Um, you hear the different sounds. You hear the different textures, the different instrumentation and combinations of um, pieces of drums that are used. Like you can have a, a beat that's got kick, snare, and hi-hats. But as you mentioned, once you have the drumming of Rage Against the Machine that introduces a cowbell instead of the hi-hat. Out. It's so cool. It yeah. stands out. It makes you think about the groove in a different way. So yeah. I think in that sense, um, listening to various genres and playing various genres just opens your mind. It expands the possibilities of what you can bring to a song. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not limited to only playing the standard drum set. If you've heard a cowbell and you've played that cowbell part and then you're working with a new artist and you find that that's the little missing ingredient that you could apply to it, that's where it's beneficial. I recently read a book on the Beatles and they talked about they would often include mistakes on purpose. And I think that's interesting. If you listen to anything from the 60s through 80s, drumming would often change tempo consistently. Yeah. And now it doesn't. Now it's just flat. It's computerized. Everything's set. There are no mistakes. Where do you stand on that? Because yes, it's great to have perfection. It's great to have technology assist in being the best. But at the same time, it's kind of cool when you hear an offbeat from Ringo and the Beatles or something different or something mistake. It's like, that's right. These guys are humans and they're actually artists. Big time. Well, you know, um, from a technical standpoint, I'd have to say that, you know, having, having everything on beat and everything on a grid and quantized the way it is these days is really necessary for a lot of the live performances that are being put on. Because if we think back to, when the Beatles were popular, I mean, they're still popular, obviously, but at the height of their, their fame, the height of them being these international stars and they were releasing new music, they were this band. They were like, a, 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 they had a sound and the human mistakes and the, the discrepancies of, of time pushing and pulling, that was part of their performance. That was part of their show. But now we have like, lights and backing tracks that are all timed to a song. And so there's not as much room for the push and pull of the human element. The more, I feel like the more we move forward in time, 
the more we, as fans and as listeners, we want like a big show and the shows keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the more control there is over that, the, the further you can push the boundaries, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can time the lights to the show and everything's on a click track, then that's the way to do it. And I think as a result, that's what's influencing the recording side of things. I'd have to say it's funny because I feel like a lot of the producers that I know who make beats or make, you know, produce tracks on their computers, they're quantizing everything, but then they're also trying to make it more human. They're trying to push and pull some hi-hat hits and um, velocities or dynamic ranges so that it sounds like a real drummer because there, there definitely is a, a fine line in terms of it sounding too robotic and too precise and just having a feeling to it. And so I don't think we're ever going to um, stray so far away that there's none of that. I don't think everything is going to be pure sine waves and like <laughs> perfect grids, but I definitely think that um, the human element is going to be a vital part of music forever. As a session drummer, you work with a variety of artists. So I'm curious, just from the beginning, when you're starting, how do you develop trust? They show up, you're the new guy, maybe it's a group that's been together a lot and they see you and there's, there's always a little bit of that, eh, who's this guy? Even, even if they know your name and all that, there's still a little bit of, how do you, how do you show that you're worthy? How do you develop trust? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that's a good, no, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think as a musician who plays with various artists, as a session musician, it's more about your personality than your playing. You know, you do the work, you learn the songs, you learn the parts. Uh, if they want you, you kind of also figure out their threshold. You figure out if the artist wants you to play exactly what's on the record, mm-hmm. or if they want you to bring some of your own flavor to things. Sometimes that's why you get hired because somebody likes the way that you hit the drums or the way that you play the guitar, the approach that you have to things. So really the trust factor comes from personality. It comes from, just just bringing you know a good vibe to the room you know and not not bringing your ego to it if the show is not about you you're there for the team you got to be a collaborator you got to work with everybody to make the, the final result amazing and so if you leave your ego out of it you're going to be great everybody is going to is going to take you on like you're one of theirs jokingly asked because there've been times where things are lost in translation someone's like hey you know funk this up a little more, add a little more spice. They, t- they give you a term and you're, you're not really sure what they mean. But you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you're doing something, they're like, they're like, yeah, that's it, that's it. Have you had any situations like that? Oh, 100%. You have, <laughs> I figured, I figured. <laughs> you have people saying like, you know, I want this beat to sound a little more, you know, rock and roll. And then you try that and they say, no, that's, that's not what I mean. And then you play something like a little more hip hop. Okay. And they're like, yeah, that's what I mean. And <laughs> I think it's, it's really about the feeling because ultimately yeah. whenever somebody gives you a, a note like that, they are referencing the vibe that they've heard from a track. And obviously if they're not a drummer, they're not going to be able to communicate that's that in the same yeah, yeah. terms, but they might hear a song that, that hits them a certain way and they, they just associate it with rock and roll because yeah. it's got a vibe to it. But then you play a groove that's a little more hip hop, a little more uh, pulled back or something. And they love it. That's the feeling that they were going for. So yeah, it's definitely, you have to be a, you have to be a translator you, or an interpreter rather. 
think that's another thing about developing that trust and kind of reading the musicians. And you probably have a PhD in being able to read musicians. <laughs> Drumming has taken you all around the world, various concert stages around. Looking back in your performances thus far, which are the ones? I, won't, I don't like asking the question, what's your favorite? But which are the ones, performances, locations that still have an emotional hold on you that you still wake up and think about? Mm. Well, it's funny you say that you don't want to ask about the favorite because I typically am also not about giving a favorite, but I have to tell you what my favorite was. <laughs> perfect, perfect. My favorite was this venue called Paradiso in Amsterdam. Mm, okay. It is a legendary venue. It used to be a church. It was converted into this massive room. It holds, I think, around 2,000, if not more. And people like Prince, the police, Shaka Khan, um, Coldplay, everybody's played at this venue. And I had the opportunity to play there in 2017. Mm -hmm. But then when we got to the venue, they didn't know that there was going to be a drummer. It was, uh, it was associated with a music festival and it was a singer songwriter music festival and they didn't have a backline drum set. So I didn't get to play the show. Fast forward uh, a few months, I think it was like three or four months, I'm back in Europe with another artist with the chance to play at Paradiso. And our flight from London to Amsterdam got canceled because of a snowstorm <laughs> in Amsterdam. So for the second time, I got stripped of my opportunity to play the venue. And then finally, on the third chance that I had with the first artist I had initially gone over to Europe with, I finally got to play that venue. And I got to tell you, it was euphoric finally being on that stage and i think that's that's essentially what makes a show so special is you you know when you play your first show whether it's in a i think one of my first shows was you know a battle of the bands and like a gymnasium at a high school that's not necessarily the best venue in the world but that's what you wanted to do you know you've spent so many years learning how to play your instrument and then you finally get to do that thing and so that continues to change throughout your career right as a musician you know, for me, one of my bucket list things will be to play a stadium. And I'm sure the day that I do play a stadium show, that will be my new favorite show. And so it's just, it's always pushing, pushing the boundaries. We'll, we'll bring you back and we'll talk about that one as well. <laughs> yeah. I, and I haven't been to Paradiso. I know that it's by the Hard Rock in, in Amsterdam, right? That's right. Thoughts on Amsterdam? It's one of my favorite towns. Amsterdam is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's so historic. Just walking around the, the architecture, the canals there are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, the food is amazing. Just the culture, everything is fantastic and very welcoming. Yeah. I found that the people there are really, um, they're really open. They're just happy to talk to you, even if you're a stranger. Yeah. So, I love that it's got this cultural importance of the world, but yet it's got a small town vibe. You can walk everywhere and just ride a bike. It's not, it doesn't yeah, have that chaotic. Yeah, it totally has a small town vibe. What makes for a great show? Other than like you just said, that a lot of times it's the first or just how you're feeling emotionally about what makes for a good show in regards to being with an audience? Mm, I think if you're able to tune into what the audience, what wavelength they're on, mm -hmm. like if you're able to really read them and even if you have your show pre-planned, if you've got the set list set in stone, you know what song you're going to start with, what song you're going to end with, there's still a, a bit of room to play in terms of, banter in terms of um how dynamic you're playing you know a song a song can be flat and you can give it to them like it is on the record or you can really play with the dynamics and maybe one of the choruses is is a lot softer and just delivered in a different different way than they're used to and 
if you can read the audience and feel their vibe and give them what it seems like they need in that moment, that's the best feeling. It, I, ultimately, it's kind of like a, a DJ. You know, if you have a DJ at an event and they start playing like house music and people just finished eating dinner, you know, they're not necessarily ready to hop on the dance floor and get going, but you work with them. You kind of, you build up this trust with the audience. What's the best placement of the drums on a stage? Because mm. it seems like we've pretty much settled on in the back, but raised. Is that the most efficient? In the back, but raised, I feel like is just the classic yeah. rock band setup. I've had some opportunities to play kits that are more front and center, where there was only three people playing on the stage. So we had the lead singer in the front, the guitar player on the side, parallel to the singer, and the drums also up front. And as a drummer, I got to say, that's a, a pretty great feeling because there's less space between you and the audience. Yeah. So you feel like you're, you're closer to them. You can connect with them a little more intimately. But then on the, uh, uh, on the flip side, the drum riser thing, when you're on a drum riser and it's a big stage, it feels, the energy just feels like unmatched. Yeah. It's, it's something that you don't often get the chance to do right like to to be the person that's in the band that has that elevation essentially on the stage literally you can see over everything and you can yeah. you see the show the way that a lot of concert behind the scenes concert photographs and videos are taken which is from behind the drummer showing the whole perspective you are getting that perspective while you're playing i was just flash having flashbacks right then of shows i've been to in which that's set up but oh man um, i miss it you are a drum instructor, drum coach, drum teacher. That's so right. what are some of the resources that you offer and provide? Uh, well, over the past year, I've started creating drum videos, mm -hmm. breakdowns of grooves and fills, and putting those on Instagram and YouTube. I started putting them into packs where there's transcriptions in PDF form and recordings in MP3s where people can essentially download it to practice at their own pace and kind of work with the various tempos from slower to faster. But yeah, I've got a ton of free resources on my Instagram and my YouTube for anybody who's just looking to challenge themselves with reading drum notation or, you know, playing intermediate to advanced grooves and fills and working on their coordination. Your YouTube channel is what? YouTube is John Foster Drummer, J-O-N Foster Drummer. You mentioned that that's something you added on, on the last year. So what do you feel is the biggest lesson you've learned from the last 12 months? Honestly, to just start whatever it is that you want to be doing right now. Don't wait. Because for years, I've been saying I wanted to make drum videos. I wanted to, you know, put these packs together. And last year, when everything just locked down, I all of a sudden had this time. And I thought, you know what? I just got to do it. I just got to get into it. And I'm so thankful that I did. Because like anything in life, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so with anything that that you know, anyone who's listening right now with anything that you want to get doing, you want to be doing, just start. There's no better time than now. And I know it's very cliche, but in six months, you're going to thank yourself. Yeah. It's such an important answer. I love that answer so much. And it's similar to other guests I've talked to when I mentioned about people who climbed Everest. They don't know all the steps along the way. They can't tell you what they're going to do six hours from now, but they just say, take that first step. You'll figure the rest out. Yeah. Oh man. I could imagine Mount Everest. What is the music album that means the most to you emotionally? Ooh. Uh, Currents by Tame Impala. Okay. Tame Impala. So right. 
Tame Impala, I, I found out about him. Uh, Kevin Parker is his name. Found out about him in 2015. And people had put me onto him. He released this album, Currents. And it was kind of at a, a pretty big changing, shifting moment in my life. I was 25 and just trying to figure out what I was doing and figure out if music was the right career to go down. And, you know, did I really want to put everything into it? And that album, it's got a lot of songs about, about love and relationships, but it's got a lot of songs about reflections and reflecting on your own past and, you know, living in the moment and really like just going for it, like just doing whatever it is. That, essentially what we were just talking about, just like kind of, time to forget about the past and time to keep going, you know, like kind of, I don't know if this is the message, but riding with the currents is kind of how I think about that album. And so anytime I listen to it, it's like a scent that brings you back to childhood. You know, when I listen to that album, it brings me back to that time of just deciding that music was the path I wanted to go down. Fantastic. How about same question on the album, but over the last year? Hmm. Probably leave the door open, uh, Bruno Mars and wow. Anderson Pack. Okay. Just because I feel like I've been listening to a lot of popular music, getting into you know the new kind of realm of hip hop that's kind of taken over the airwaves, and leave the door open obviously is a nod to '70s influence, like a huge nod to '70s influence. And I think for myself, I'd never really gotten into '70s music. And so to hear artists who I really admire making a track that that references those sounds and that's incorporating them in a, a modern production, that was eye-opening to me. I just felt like, okay, here we go. Like, yeah. there's going to be a new era of of referencing referencing old influences. A song that helped you in a big breakthrough as a drummer, one that you just repeated once you mastered that part. You're like. That's it. And you felt yourself go to another level and help your confidence. Mm. Um, take five, Dave Brubeck. Okay. Uh, Joe Morello is the drummer on that track. It's, I, I think the, the track was put out in, must've been the sixties, maybe the late fifties, but I think it was the sixties. And um, when I was going to university for music, this was the first track that I transcribed front to back from start to finish note for note, what Joe Morello was playing on the drums. And when I learned how to play that whole song, that was a huge breakthrough for me because up until that point, I'd been learning other songs. I'd been learning how to play Blink-182. I'd been learning how to play Muse, but it was more of like playing the general groove, playing the general ideas, maybe hitting the fills perfectly, but the overall note for note was not, exact and when i learned that song exactly it was a breakthrough in realizing that by imitating the people who we aspire to be like and and really investing into imitating as accurately as possible it gives you this it unlocks like this potential that you have to play like that person or to to be like that person and so that yeah that was a huge breakthrough for me and from then on, every time I was learning a song, I was learning it note for note, not always writing it down, but learning it note for note. And that changed my, my progress. Just, I feel like it went exponential from there. Yeah. The three drummers, Poster Present, 
that you would love to share a beverage with next time you play Paradiso in Amsterdam. And I wanted to give you the venue as well to help with the overall ambiance of the question. Okay, uh, past probably Buddy Rich because he's just such an icon and such a virtuoso. And I, I just want to ask him how, how did he do the things he did? Uh, Travis Barker, because he was such an inspiration to me. Yeah. And I would just want to tell him that. Yeah. And uh, probably Marcus Gilmore. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that name, but he's a jazz drummer. Okay. He's the grandson of, of um, uh, Roy Haynes. Okay. A famous jazz drummer who'd played with everybody. Miles Davis. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's played with Wayne Shorter. Uh, anyway, so Marcus Gilmore, he is is pushing the boundaries of what drummers can do. He's a right-handed but he will play left-handed. He'll play shows left-handed just because he wants to see how it sounds and see if he can push the boundaries. He'll add extra um, instrumentation to his drum kit. Like he'll add a second pair of hi-hats mm -hmm. that he's triggering with his, his heel. He's pressing the pedal down with his heel just to get different sounds, different textures. And so, yeah, I just want to ask him where he sees the future of drumming. So those three, I think that would be a really interesting conversation. Fantastic, fantastic. What's next? What's coming up for you? Shows, projects that we can be aware of? Oh, absolutely. I just finished an album with my friend and co-composer, Steve Poloni. Mm -hmm. uh, the project is New Roots, and that's R-O-U-T-E-S. Uh, the album is going to be on Spotify fairly soon, but basically it's an album of 10 tracks inspired by the Canadian landscape. And we wanted to make an album for people to have as driving music. You know, if you were to go on a road trip and have scenic backdrops or night drives, we wanted something that you could just vibe with. And so it's a lot of chill electronic music, but with orchestral arrangements. We had Drew Jureka, who's the violinist who played on actually Dua Leap album and mm -hmm. just won a Grammy. He recorded the strings on it. He's a Toronto-based musician. Shout out to Drew. And Matt Warshall uh, is an incredible woodwinds player. We had him play woodwinds on the track. So I say chill electronic, but it's got these orchestral arrangements that are just really gorgeous to listen to. And um, yeah, so that's going to be coming out very soon. Very cool. Well, I have a playlist specifically made for late night drives or something about driving down late at night, maybe the window down, not in a rush to go anywhere, not fighting traffic, just need something chill. So that would be perfect music to add to the list. I'll send it to you. Take me through developing a new album and the mindset because you've, you've got the plan that you want it to be songs with a certain vibe. So how do you go about kind of the forest for the trees to put the individual songs on first and then make them fit the vibe or do you have the vibe first and then are only using songs to fit that? Oh, well, that's a good question. We essentially approached this album by coming up with a creative concept, which was to be inspired by Canadian landscapes. Mm -hmm. And so we created a couple of docs, Google docs, where we, you know, referenced photos, videos, and experiences that we'd had in various provinces. So um, experiences in the Maritimes, you know, Nova Scotia, PEI, um, you know, memories of, of camping as a kid in Northern Ontario. Um, my own experiences of traveling across the country on tours and traveling through Saskatchewan and the prairies and just the beauty of the landscapes and how they change. 
And so essentially we took that vibe, we took that influence and we put that into every song. So one song, for example, was inspired by the Rocky Mountains and just the first time I climbed up a mountain in Alberta and the, the rock formations and just the, the sheer beauty of the landscape. And we put that into the track as best we could. It, it, it's not so literal as like, you know, a mountain represented a true, true. certain synth or anything like that, but we just wanted to create that vibe where when you listen to the track, if I were to mention that landscape to you, you could see it, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. When you're working on a project like that, that has such a specific focus, do you eliminate other ideas or are you always welcome to that idea in the sense of, oh my gosh, I had this great track that I could, would, we could work on, but it doesn't fit this project. So do you still work on it on the side or you just say, no, I got to focus. And cause I know it could be easy to get distracted at times. It can be easy to get distracted. Um, in that regard, I've definitely had some tracks that didn't fit in the vibe of the album. And so I would just work on those on my own time. I, you know, I wanted to make a, a purely electronic track. And so I've been working on that track separate from this album just because it's fine to push the the limits push the boundaries of what you're making based on whatever inspiration you've chosen Mm -hmm. but you you never want to go so far that you feel like you're pulling the album in a completely different direction you got me also just thinking about this when i've traveled and so much of time when you think back to memories it's visual but you also there also is usually a soundtrack to it we create our own soundtracks as it exactly big time and is it just instrumental vocals as well? or There are vocals on a couple of tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only two tracks as far as I know. But um, yeah, it's primarily an instrumental album. You are from one of my favorite international cities. The most diverse city in North America. It's a place with so much culture, so much great food, so many great people. What makes you the most proud to be from Toronto? Ooh, <laughs> um, I think the people just make me proud. You know, like you said, it's a very diverse city. and the people and the way that they carry themselves. I mean, the cliche is true. You know, Canadians are very nice people Mm -hmm. and I'm just proud to be a part of that community. I'm proud to be a a part of a city where, you know, people pride themselves on diversity. People pride themselves on, on not having separation between them. So Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that. Someone visiting Toronto for the first time, what would be the food and drink recommendation? Ooh, a lot of choices. Oh, lots of choices. (laughs) Okay, let's see. I mean, I'm not sure how deep we're going in terms of a full day, but let's say you're ending your night, you'd have to go to Sneaky D's or Nachos. Although I heard that they might be closing and I heard that they might be putting a condo up there. So Mm. you have to go to Toronto quick. (laughs) You have to get there soon. And then in terms of... A bar to go to, Poetry Jazz Cafe in Kensington Market is a really awesome little spot. I've played there for years. It's probably big enough for about 40 to 50 people. It's really intimate. They have a lot of jazz memorabilia around the room. It's a really awesome spot run by this guy, Sean Pascal. And uh, they have great music there every single day. Cool. Um, I have to stop myself for now. No, I, I keep asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> This has been so much fun, man. I really have enjoyed. I feel like, I feel like uh, I've known you for years that we're just in the same room hanging out. I love your, yeah. I love your stories. And I just want to hear so much more about your musical experiences. How can people stay up to date with your life and follow along, especially with the new album coming out? At John Foster Drummer on 
pretty much all socials, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, the whole shebang, uh, J-O-N-F-O-S-T-E-R, Drummer. And for the new album, it's going to be released under the name New Roots. So R-O-U-T-E-S is Roots. New Routes, as some people might say. Yeah, yeah. That was super fun, man. Thank you for having me on this. Oh, man, thank you. And we'll, we'll talk soon, but thanks for today. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Cheers. Okay, bye, Randall. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to John. Be sure to give him a follow on Instagram. You can also stay up to date at John Foster Drummer, where you can also pick up some of his drumming tutorials and videos and be on the look. The new album, New Roots. Again, this is part of John's project, New Roots, alongside Steve Poloni, which is music inspired by Canadian landscapes. That'll be out later this summer. Stay up to date on that project at newrootsband.com. Looking forward to the final product. And here's a sample of Gabriola. Curiosity is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from any given runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.